Hello, and welcome to Healing for Your Thoughts, the podcast that has conversations that help us all heal out loud rather than continue to suffer in silence. Today, we're going to talk about a recent Lumina Gallup report that revealed college students nationwide are beginning to leave school at dramatically high rates due to stressors and mental health challenges. I'm super thrilled to have a conversation with two very accomplished very beloved um, young ladies who are going to share their thoughts on this report. So with that, we're going to get into the show. Cameron and Nina, welcome. I'm so, 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 so excited to have you guys here today. Before we dig deeper into the subject matter at hand, I would like you each to take a moment or two and share with the audience a little bit about who you are, what you're majoring in, where you go to school, and please remember, share whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, it's all good. So whoever would like to go first, jump in. I'll go ahead. So my name is Nina Collingmore. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, and I currently attend the Norfolk State University in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, I'm a junior now. Um, I major in business entrepreneurship and business intelligence data analytics, and I have my own business. We can get more into that um, later on. Awesome. Awesome. And our second special guest. Hi, um, I'm Cameron Atkins. I'm from Loudoun County, Virginia, and I currently am a junior at James Madison University. I am studying sports and recreation management with a minor in business, and I plan on doing something with sport eventually. Excellent. Excellent. So let me first ask you both, aside from personal relationship, what made you say yes to this interview? given what we're going to be talking about. I can speak on that. I definitely think that mental health is um, an uncomfortable conversation between um, children and adults. So I think that like kind of getting rid of that stigma would be important and something I wanted to be a part of. Awesome. Thank you. And Nina? Yeah, I agree. It's something that it's a conversation that has to be had. And I'm just happy to be a part of that. For you both are juniors now, matriculating through exams, peer pressure, academic requirements, all of that. Do you find college stressful? Absolutely. Definitely, yes. <laughs> what are some of the specific reasons why? And I'm speaking to, is it coursework? Are you worried about the cost of college? Are you thinking about grad school after you finish undergrad? peer pressure, health reasons, something else, or all of the above, why do you find college stressful? Um, for me, it's definitely all of the above. There are so many things that I didn't know, even though I'm not a first-generation college student, my mom hasn't been in school in such a long time. So it's it was new for them as well, especially going out of state. And there were things that I didn't know mm -hmm. that we needed to know about, um, like where I was going to go, that I had to move out, that there was a deadline, that you have to keep paying um, a housing deposit. There's there's so many financial stressors um, on top of I'm starting over again, making friends. This is an area that I've never been to before. Uh, and then transitioning higher into my um, educational process, um, thinking about my siblings. I didn't think that I'd be thinking about like, oh, I need to figure out if I'm going to be able to stay here. My sis me and my sisters are going to be in school at the same time. And um, it's a saying I like to say, you don't know what you don't know. And that's absolutely what college is about. Yeah. All right. Very good. Cameron. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's kind of all of the above. But there is that kind of financial pressure that comes indirectly from your parents and just wanting to make them proud because they are most likely funding this experience. So I understand that it's a lot of work and less play. So finding that balance was really important for my family and managing the stress with that as well. Okay. So Nina, in our pre-interview prep, you mentioned as two things that are being um, that are currently rather top of mind for you. You said being disciplined while keeping academics first, as well as the reality of setting versus achieving new goals. So how can you keep your commitment to that 
in tandem with managing your stress level, given all the pressure you just mentioned about, you know, as it relates to attending college? Yeah. So I really had to discipline myself in finding the best way possible for me to kind of tackle what I know stresses me out ahead of time. So I wouldn't be stressed out later. I know that I, I'm going to be stressed out if I wait till the last minute to do an assignment or if I don't know where my grades are going to be. So actually time blocking, that's the technique that I use to manage everything that I have to do. Um, and then that in turn helps me deal with stressors um, before they actually start to cause me that anxiety. Okay. Okay. And Cameron, what about you? Um, I definitely think the time management is the part that makes me feel better about stressors. Just understanding my schedule and the time I have to set aside for free and when I have to like sit down and really get things done. When I'm doing better at managing my time, I feel better mentally, definitely. Okay. So what I'm hearing you both say is that procrastination as a college student and really honestly as an adult Although we all do it, it's not a great thing for our mental health. Ultimately, if we're involved in a lot of activities, um, we want to make sure we have time with family, friends, etc. Procrastinating on the things that we know we need to get done can actually create a lot of stress and anxiety, which does impact our mental health, even if only on a temporary basis. So kudos to you both for recognizing that, Nina, the time blocking. Cameron, I'm assuming that you're doing something similar that helps you keep on track. So what do you do if there is a moment again, because we're all human where you have procrastinated because maybe you just were mentally tired and you just didn't want to study. What do you do when you get off track to help yourself get back on track? My environment for me is everything. If I know I'm procrastinating and putting things behind me and I just don't want to get off the couch, maybe I have to move. Like I have to go to campus, go sit, in a coffee shop, even just somewhere where I can like tell my brain to start working and moving my atmosphere, I think is what works for me. Okay. Nina, have you ever done that? Or do you pretty much stay in your dorm or somewhere, you know, like in a student center? I was going to say that's so funny because I'm the opposite. If I'm, I have to be in my bed because it makes me comfortable. And if I'm like in a classroom setting or even like chairs, I, my mind just does, cannot focus and I have to, and my room is where I feel most comfortable and that's actually where I get most of my work done. Um, so that was funny that you said that I have to kind of be in my room and I have to clean. So my room and my environment is kind of like a reflection of where my mind is at. And if it's unorganized, then I'm going to definitely not be on track or procrastinating. That's an, I definitely understand. Yeah. That's a point. As adults, we say our home is our sanctuary. For you guys living in a dorm, that's essentially your home away from home. And so it would make sense that if it's cluttered and not free of the things that would distract you, it would be harder to focus. And so maybe with Cameron, sometimes you probably feel like, okay, my home is my home, but I need to get away from home to get moved. (laughs) I definitely understand that. So let me ask you, in addition to stress, has your college attendance ever caused you to feel feelings more um, typical of what would be described as anxiety and depression? And to the degree that you feel comfortable sharing, how have you dealt with that if you've experienced it recently? Cameron, I'll come back to you first. Um, I don't know necessarily that I could say I've experienced that personally. I think I'm more able to see that in my peers and my friends to like understand what they're going through. So I've been lucky enough to like not have to deal with that. So I don't think I can speak on that. Okay. Nina. Mm-hmm. I've definitely experienced um, feelings of anxiety, even to the point of actually my um, counselor telling me that what I was describing was a panic or an anxiety attack. And I've never in my life until coming to college had my stressors and my anxiety manifest physically. Like I actually start to feel physical pain or like my breathing short, my breath shortening um, and then my mind racing. That's, that's a reality that I've never had before until coming here. And 
my way of dealing with it was definitely like I had to take a second and organize, organize everything that was stressing me out and then find someone to talk to. I really enjoy like going to the counseling center at my campus um, and even just kind of isolating myself from the outside world in a sense. Um, that's kind of ways that I, those are some ways that I've kind of dealt with my anxiety um, and I'm still trying to find more. Okay. So let me ask you, Nina, because you kind of talked about not really feeling the physical manifestation of a panic attack, anxiety attack, et cetera, until you got to college. I happen to know in your high school career, you had a very challenging schedule. You were highly involved in numerous activities, et cetera. So what do you think changed? Because you, sure, busy in high school to a certain degree, lots of activity, et cetera, busier still. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you're in college, but what do you think changed for you, maybe psychologically, that now the pressure has increased in such a way that you actually re- um, experience physical remnants of anxiety? That is such a good question because I feel like I definitely tuned down the activities that I did from high school into college. So that's something that I would definitely have to explore more um, because I. I I actually don't know like why it started manifesting more. I could like hypothesize and guess, but I I that's something I've never thought of like why did that start happening when I came to college? Maybe that's something that as you go back and continue to speak to your counselor, maybe that's something that you check in about and see if you guys can do the work together to explore it in a way that helps you problem solve so that you more readily recognize it as it's happening, um, so that you can get on top of it and really, you know, take your power back. Yeah. (laughs) So Cameron, coming back to you, I have another question about this because in our pre-prep interview, um, you said that one of the things that, or rather two of the things that were top of mind to you when facing stress are how to stay confident in the midst of it and how to manage it in difficult times. So how do you stay confident when you're feeling a little stressed and overwhelmed, midterms, final exams, et cetera, um, in the midst of everything that you have on your plate? How do you stay confident? How do you manage it? Um, That's a good question as well, just because I think that's different for everyone. I kind of learned from college that confidence is everything. No one really knows what's going on behind the doors. If you show them you're confident, they can't really say much about like your presence or like how you're acting. So I definitely just keep that in mind when I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling nervous walking into a presentation. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, this is all for me. This is only going to benefit me. So all that fear and like anxiety I might be feeling, it's easier for me to just tell myself it's easier to be confident than scared. And okay. that's just what works for me. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So another thing you mentioned, Cameron, um, was the importance of checking in on your quote unquote strong friends. So me personally, I love this because I'm considered one of the strong ones in many of my different friend groups. And I also want to say that I think sometimes, although my friends, my tribe, my village are well-meaning, I think sometimes they forget, as people will, that the strong people are human too. Right. And maybe some of that is our fault because the ones that are viewed as the quote unquote strong ones don't necessarily ask for help when they need it. Right. And so how can you lean in and help us if we don't let you know that there is a need to be met? So my question to both of you, how do you support your friends at school or elsewhere who may be feeling overwhelmed, stressed, anxious, et cetera? Um, have you encouraged them to seek help? And if so, do you know if they followed through on it? And if they didn't, why do you think that is? Um, I can start. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I definitely think this checking on the strong friends is something I'm really passionate about just because I feel as if I'm one of those as well. But to check on how I find myself checking on my friends is I learned the little things like their love language even is so important to me and what they feel um, fills their bucket. Like some things won't fill their bucket. So you have to learn what will. 
So I spend a lot of time focusing on that. And I also preach talking to someone just because I think a neutral party is the best person to give advice. Mm -hmm. And I know my school offers a lot of resources just to have someone sit there and listen to you. And you don't really have to have feedback, but it's really nice kind of venting to someone who has no personal bias and nothing negative to say to like any party involved. Okay. I have to say to you, Cameron, I think in my entire adult existence, you have to be the first young adult I have ever heard speak of being conscious about their friend's love language in regard to supporting them maintaining the health of your relationship. So my goodness, that is, you are very well informed, young lady. That That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank, Thank you. you so much for sharing. Nina, how about you? How do you support your friends, especially the, the strong ones, checking in on them, et cetera, um, to make sure they're good? Quality time is the most important in all of my friend groups. So for my long, my long distance relationships, because I have a lot of those now, um, we literally have to just make time for each other. And like Cameron was saying, just listening to them when they're venting uh, and just being sometimes just being there is enough. And being a friend, I had to accept that. I used to beat myself up for not being able to physically be there to solve their problems mm-hmm. or not being able to hold them. But I had to realize, like, this is all that we can do for mm-hmm. each other. And that is enough. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, ma'am. So ladies, both of you have um, been very eloquent in expressing how you show up for your friends and how you support them in different ways. In giving and giving and giving, you know, it has often been said that you shouldn't pour until your cup is empty and have nothing left for yourself. So do you feel that in pouring out of yourselves into your various friend groups that there is also room made for you that you may be poured into? And how do your friends demonstrate that for you? I would say uh, I I love that because it reminds me of iron sharpening iron. And I've recognized that in all the people that I surround myself, um, they give to me as much as I give to them. And that is so important uh, because we all I'm such a I want to take everyone with me type of person. So when I find people who are on that same wavelength, it makes it it makes things a lot easier. And I don't feel like I'm pulling unnecessary weight, even though you shouldn't you know, think of your friends that way. And you always want to help each other. Uh, it is a reality that I've had to come to that sometimes you do have to leave people behind and love them from afar. Yes, uh, everyone. <laughs> with you. Yes, everyone can go with you. And like setting setting those boundaries, um, absolutely. My my friends know that I'm quick to say no. So like going out, if you want to, if you want me with you somewhere, sometime I don't do last minute. You have to tell me 24 hours ahead of time <laughs> because freshman year I was struggling. But um, and they respect that finding people who respect you know your lifestyle and how you you want to be successful um, is so important. Absolutely. Cameron, what about you? How do your friends pour into you and demonstrate that there's room for you to take up space as well when you have needs to be met? Definitely. Um, I agree with Nina where I definitely, it took some time to find those friends. I think I spent my freshman and sophomore year understanding the people around me a little bit better. And then going into junior year, I've only surrounded myself with people who also fill me up just as much as I hope I do them. So I definitely think it's your environment. Um, my parents always say you are who you're around. Like you, they represent you as well. So it was really important for me to find friends that I know made me a better person, whether that was like outwardly or just made me feel better internally. Um, I find that they aren't quick to like give solutions to my problems, just more they're there, like with a hand on my back. Like I just really wanted someone to support rather than help. And I find my friends do that very well. That's amazing. Yeah. Sometimes all of us meaning well, we know that someone we care about is in need and we just want to fix it. We just want to make it better. 
But sometimes it's less about fixing it and more about just feeling what the other person is feeling by listening Mm -hmm. and allowing that person or those people to come to their own conclusions about the situation, just knowing that there's a safe space to share whatever the different ideas and opinions are about how they're going to get to the place of resolution. So that's amazing that you all have the wherewithal and the friend groups to support you just as much as you support them um, in that way. So Cameron, I have a question for you. The report that I referenced at the beginning of our chat states that bachelor students, bachelor of arts students, um, who feel supported by faculty, members, and peers are less likely to experience chronic emotional stress. Please share with our listeners why you believe this mixed support group is critical to not only a student's collegiate success, but also to having a more positive mental health. I definitely think the people that are teaching us in the classrooms and my advisors have the biggest impact on our experience here, Mm -hmm. mostly because they determine um, the good and bad of our, like, college progression. So you definitely want to impress them, which is the very hard balance I've found where I want to look for their guidance, but I also don't want to disappoint them either. Right. So I think it's a constant um, kind of relationship between the two of you to like remind each other that I'm here to help, but I'm also here to impress and I need your help. So I think that's where I've been at with that. Okay. So Nina? question for you. Slightly different. The report also states that not only is emotional stress the primary reason for community college and undergraduate students to leave school prior to graduation, but that females aged 18 to 24 and minority students, both genders, are disproportionately affected. Please share your thoughts on this statistic. Mm. So emotional awareness is one of the highest reasons. Emotional stress. Emotional stress. Um, being a minority myself and then um, also coming from a background where I have a immigrant parent, I think that comes from the pressure of society as a whole And that we always have to work harder than everyone else um, because we have to prove that we deserve to be somewhere or prove that we belong. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised at those statistics. Um, I think that's something that's been going on for for quite a long time because of that extra. You have to work harder. We're being told by our parents and we're competing with our peers, essentially, um, because it doesn't seem like in the world that there's enough space for all of us. Mm, Okay. That's a powerful observation. So do you think society even unconsciously is, let's say pitting us against one another, you as college students, as you're saying, you know, to your point about you're competing against your peers. Do you feel that society, whether or not is directly because of you coming from an immigrant lineage Do you feel society is pitting you against your peers in a way that makes you feel like there's not enough space? And if you don't acquiesce to someone else or the pressure of trying to rise to the level and the standard of someone else is crushing. Yeah, absolutely. Even not even um, just in society as a whole, but even in our own households. And it's with good intention because we want to do better than our parents and our grandparents did. And even coming from a... um, a sip, having many siblings, I notice that they also have that pressure as well, like to do as good or better than your sister or your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, do better than your peers because it's it's first come first serve. Um, whoever's doing the best gets the best. So absolutely, it's detrimental. So I'm a parent. You happen to know both my children. What's your advice for me as a parent so that I don't consciously, right? A lot of times I think it's unconscious. You're trying to just motivate your kids to excel. Mm -hmm. How do you think parents should kind of conduct themselves so that we're not consciously creating unnecessary pressure 
mm-hmm. on our children when we have, you know, multiple children in the household so that the kids don't feel like, especially the younger ones, mm-hmm. that they're having to walk or stand in the shadow of the older ones. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely just recognizing that even though we're all related, that we're each an individual person and have individual goals and dreams and aspirations and that in each child's own right. Mm-hmm. And even if you're from in a single household, um, you have a certain reputation that you want your child to carry on from like your family name, recognizing that they're just an individual and have their own goals and aspirations and just to look, focus on them as a person and not trying to unintentionally compare, um, just being aware, mm-hmm. being, being more aware of like how you're viewing your children or your child. Am I subconsciously comparing them? Um, what I like to do in my own family, we watch things like psych to go, um, to kind of break any general curses or chains, um, actively, working on making sure that everyone feels like they can reach whatever goals that they want. Um, and just listening to your child saying, actually, this is what I like to do. And this is what I want to do. Okay. So what I hear you saying is open, positive and consistent communication. Absolutely. Creating an emotional safe space. So if as the parent, I've said something that makes you feel you're standing in the shadow of your, your sibling, you want to be safe enough to come to me and say that. And then I adjust my behavior accordingly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So Cameron, are you an only child? That's one question I didn't ask. Or, or, or do you have siblings? And if so, what has been your experience as either the younger or older child in this very nuanced situation that Nina's speaking about of the, the pressure of walking in that shadow or being the shadow? Definitely. I'm actually a younger sibling. My sister's 10 years older than me. So I relate to what Nina's saying, definitely, but almost to a different point, just because I felt like I was being not compared to, I don't want it to sound negative, but my sister was an adult for mostly all my life. So Mm -hmm. it was very hard to find the balance of me wanting to impress my parents more than she did. And also me understanding that we're not the same person. And I don't really necessarily have to beat her out in anything because we chose two different lifestyles, honestly. So I think my parents did a good job in letting me feel comfortable being like, I don't do what she does. And this is what I like. But um, I definitely do understand the competition and the um, wanting to impress aspect of it. So Cameron, you bring up an interesting point that I actually can directly um, relate to because I, to Nina's point, she's the oldest. I'm the oldest. And to your point, Cameron, there is an 11 year difference between myself and my siblings. Now they're twins. So they had each other. But as I listen to you both and then, you know, reflect back on my own time as they came into the world and hearing you say, yeah, well, my sister was basically an adult for most of my life. My brother and sister have experienced a similar dynamic, but I can honestly say that there have been times when I was younger and they were growing older, that there was a little bit of friction because they likely felt like they were in my shadow. And it's not because my mom intentionally said, well, your sister's doing X, Y, Z, one, two, three. Sometimes I think it was more so just because they were seeing whatever it was that I was doing. And if it was an alternate to a choice they might've made, instantly that pressure entered the environment and they didn't know how to communicate it. Right. And I wasn't necessarily aware of it because by the time they became teenagers and were in their early 20s, I was married and had left home. And so I was living a whole other life while they were just really getting started figuring out life. But yet the residue of my choices, good and bad, my accomplishments, you know, my goals, my hopes, my dreams, the residue of all of those things was left behind in the house when I walked out the door. So it's interesting, you know, I hadn't even considered that until the very moment you said it. I was more focused on what Nina was saying about, yeah, just like having all these multiple siblings and your parents are comparing you, even if they're not consciously doing it. But then there's that other piece when there are siblings and there's an age gap and the kid or kids that are left at home 
are definitely feeling like the older sibling is still in the house with them and they're trying, mm. and they're trying to find their way. So mm. <laughs> it's like unspoken, it's unspoken pressure. It's unspoken yeah. pressure. Yeah. I felt that as you were saying, <laughs> I definitely felt, that's why I said, is there something else you'd like to add to my commentary? Cause I felt that rising up in you as I was saying it. <laughs> All right. So here's my next question. And um, again, either of you can jump in and um, share your thoughts. In really severe cases of stress, anxiety, and depression, people can begin to feel hopeless and sometimes see suicide as the only way, quote unquote, out. Have you personally ever felt this way? And if so, how did you overcome it? Let me caveat that question with the degree you can share to the degree that you feel comfortable. Um, Let me say that. And then beyond you yourself, do you have any experience with a friend or family member being challenged by suicidal ideation, i.e. having suicidal thoughts? Um, and how did you handle it? Cameron, I'll start with you. Okay. Um, again, thankfully, I've never struggled um, to that extent, but I've definitely been firsthand watching a family member go through that. Mm-hmm. Um and and his college age, it's very difficult to watch someone not think that there is help or there's a way to feel better. Mm-hmm. So I think what I um, made my goal of like just assisting him in his day to day was just asking him the little things. It was like, "What did you eat today?" or "Where? How is this class? What are you doing after?" you study kind of thing, kind of slowing down. I feel like people with those ideas maybe don't see a big picture necessarily. Okay. So um, it was important for me to slow down his day and kind of find the little things to appreciate, find the little things to love. And if he said that he had like Chick-fil-A for lunch, and I know Chick-fil-A is his favorite restaurant. That's amazing. That's incredible. Like I wish I had Chick-fil-A as well. It's just little things like that I found, um, kind of giving them a little bit more time, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And did you find in having that experience, you know, so close and personal in in your life, did you find that it helped you maybe deal with not um, so much feelings because you said you've never had, you know, thoughts of suicide, but even feelings of stress or anxiety that might have risen up in you that could take you down that road if not, you know, gotten in check? Do you find that having that experience with your loved one helped you kind of deal with your own feelings? 100%. It is um, the biggest reality check I think I had ever and I continue to have realizing that um, it is a mental illness. It's not a choice. Mm. And understanding that. Um, even though I might feel very sad one day, mm-hmm. you can't really compare that to depression and suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of keep myself in check and realize um, there's a lot of blessings that take are taken for granted. Um, and I try to find those every day. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Nina, how about you? I would so bring that I- question back to you. Yeah, I've never experienced um, having feelings of depression uh, to that magnitude, but I have witnessed it in people that I really love and care about. And I just want to commend you, Cameron, for like taking that approach um, and just having the wherewithal to do that, because that I know that's so hard to like that helpless feeling like I'm not sure what to do, but I'm going to do the best I can. And um, just being there for them. And it was kind of hard for me because they were away from me. So I really felt kind of helpless um, in helping them. So whenever I am around, I just make sure to engulf them with so much love mm-hmm. and do everything that they love and bring them back that happiness and joy in the best way possible. Because it's it's so, it's hard. And I love what you said. It's not a decision. It's not a choice. Mm-hmm. It's, it just happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. I I have to say um, that I, I love 
first of all, I'm 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 a little bit at a loss for words because I'm trying to find the words to properly convey what I want to say. Um, but let me just let me just say this. I am extraordinarily proud to be in this moment um to have this conversation with you both. I am honored. Um, I am grateful that there was enough um emotional trust that you felt safe enough to discuss such a heavy topic. Um, you know, when I when I first started this podcast, I really had the intention, as I said at the top of it, of having conversations that help us all heal out loud, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are so many of us that are really suffering in silence, young, old, and everything in between. And some of us don't even recognize what it is that we're suffering from, right? We may not recognize the, the extended irritability or sadness or feeling hopelessness as depression. We just know we want it to stop. You know, I personally think that those kinds of feelings grew far worse after COVID because for the first mm -hmm. time ever, globally, not as a country, you know, not as a state, not as a city, but globally, we were forced to be isolated from our regular everyday human contact. And although I understand why it had to happen, I don't think anyone understood in those first couple of weeks, let alone those first couple of months, as reality started to set in, the long-term consequences of that. People went for months not seeing friends, right? Not seeing elderly parents. I know I didn't see my parents. You know, I didn't see mm -hmm. my siblings. I didn't see my friends, the people in my extended friend group. I know my own children. When COVID happened, my oldest child, my son was a high school senior. And so he lost the privilege pretty much of his entire senior year as it traditionally happens. So you know, when the when the announcement was made initially, oh, we're going to be closed for a couple of weeks and figure this out. Okay, I got a vacation. That vacation became, okay, everything's over. Everything as I know it is over. And I just watched my children and, you know, some of the children in my friends, um, in my kids' friend group really begin to struggle because being on the phone wasn't enough right? Being on Zoom was exhausting because y'all were on Zoom eight hours a day. And so myself and um, two other couples that I'm in very close relationship with, we made a conscious decision to create, let's call it a COVID bubble, right? For our kids, for the sake of their mental health. And quite frankly, also for ours, because we saw the change in our children and recognized it was necessary as parents will, to do whatever we could to support them in one of the most scary, uncertain moments, not just in our own lives, but in the history of the world. And so we literally created this COVID bubble. The, you know, the three families made a commitment and a sacrifice to not see anyone else, not mm. our own blood relatives, not all other friends. We saw no one else. For pretty much all of 2020 into 2021 to keep those of us in that COVID bubble before we could get a vaccine as safe as possible. And even in that, we were terrified. And I think now, you know, the, the, the risk, let's say, of COVID has diminished to some degree because we have vaccines, et cetera. Mm -hmm. However, COVID is still a thing, right? But I think with that, in the aftermath, we're seeing more of the remnants of the unspoken consequence of COVID. And that's the mental health challenges people have been struggling with as a result of that long-term isolation and how it impacted us in ways we didn't know were going to be possible because we weren't made to be um, away from people. We were made to have human contact. That's how we're built, right? Our friends, our family, our grandparents, our children, our siblings, all of those people matter. And to not be able to interact with them, to not be able to touch them, to be afraid that I could be someone, you know, who has this, this um, uh, condition, COVID that is, 
And although I'm not experiencing symptoms, I could make someone I care about really, really sick and they might die. I mean, that the thought of that was mm-hmm. terrifying to me as an adult. So I can only imagine what it was like for my kids, for you guys, you know? And I think, as, you know, as I said, we're really seeing that now, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, nor am I a clinical psychologist, but I don't think it takes anyone much effort to see that there are a lot of people struggling with different variations of mental health challenges and not everyone is comfortable um, to speak about it. And so again, at your young age, I commend you for being brave enough to have the conversations. I commend you for confronting the things that start out as low-lying stress or anxiety, but that do have the potential to do more harm than good. And instead of you waiting until it gets so bad that you do feel hopeless, you say, without using the words, nope, I'm not going to suffer in silence. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to heal out loud. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to support my friends. I'm going to talk to my family. I'm going to do everything I can to be well, and I'm not going to be ashamed about it. And that's the thing I think that's most important. There is no shame in needing or asking for help at all. And the I think we owe it to one another. Um, I personally believe that it takes us all to lift us all. And I think we owe it to one another to remind each other of that in the days where we're not feeling our best. There's no shame in asking for help. Excuse me. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think that's one of the very small things we can do for each other as human beings just to say, hey, I see you. I don't care. Social economic status race, ethnicity, level in school, a junior versus a sophomore versus a freshman. I know sometimes with kids it can get a little weird because it's not somebody in your friend group, but in this day and age, I believe more now than ever, it matters. So again, my hat's off to you both for really being um, so open and honest about where you are, where you've been and what you're trying to do to help your corner of the world be a little bit better as it pertains to um, mental health. So let me go on as we um, get a little bit closer to wrapping up today. I We could go on and on. I could go on and on because I'm so enjoying having this conversation with you guys. I might have to have you come back. Um, so I've heard you both mention um, your awareness and to some degree your utilization of a student mental health center on campus where you attend school. So let me ask you this. Nina, I'm going to come to you first because you've been um, outspoken about having used it. Was there ever any part of you that felt ashamed about going to utilize those services? Mm -hmm. And if so, why? And ultimately, what did you do with those feelings? Mm. I don't think I ever felt ashamed. Um, There are definitely elements in my life where um, I am aware or have been told like, you know, if you do go talk to somebody, it can make you look a certain type of way to other people on the outside. And quite frankly, with in a respectful way, I kind of don't care. <laughs> or <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to tell people I go talk to somebody when I don't feel okay. And it makes my life better, especially if it's someone who, like, you want me to show up for you and be my best self. Well, this is what I'm doing to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm doing that and reaching those expectations, not only for others, but myself. So I, I've never felt ashamed to tell people. And I actually um, encourage people to use the counseling center services at my school. I even say we have a um, full body massage chair in there. So I say you can go. You can go in there and just request to use it. It's a nice little room. You can even go sit on like one of their bed couches and literally go to sleep. There's, you don't necessarily have to talk to someone, especially if you feel uncomfortable and you don't have to pour out everything that's going on in your life. It can start with building blocks. Um, I'm a very open person though. I often have to remind myself, you don't have to tell everybody everything or overshare, Um, but um, I've never felt ashamed to say that I, I talk to someone when I need help. Beautiful. I love everything about everything you just said, everything. <laughs> so if, the, if, if sharing, um, keeps you mentally and physically safe, please keep doing that. Please keep doing that. I love every single thing about what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Thank you, Cameron. I'm coming to you. I cannot recall, forgive me, if you shared during our conversation, because we talked about so much, if you've ever used your um, campus's mental health facilities, but to the degree that you're comfortable sharing, please, you know, give us some insight on um, if you've thought about it, if you've used it, if you, and if you have used it, um, did you ever feel any feelings of shame? And, you know, what you did with, what did you do rather with those feelings? Right. Um, to be truthful, I haven't used the facility myself, but my school does a very good job at making sure it's there, known that it's there. I find um, I have friends that go there, but again, I got lucky with my village here that I don't, I'm comfortable with the help I get already, but I definitely understand the stigma of being ashamed or um, embarrassed to talk about it, but I definitely think um, in today's age, a lot of us find power in hearing that people talk to psychiatrist or therapist Mm -hmm. just because it is scary and it is something that um might not be common for our age but hearing your friends say that no they've spoken to someone and it was a great experience it's just that comfort knowing that next Wednesday if I'm even just like a little bit off feeling a little bit off I have that opportunity to go to my campus and receive help and receive comfort Um, We have the massage chairs too. Like it's not about talking to someone. It's about just feeling protected almost Uh for a little bit. Okay. So let me first say, so there's two things. Number one, I want to say, I want to be completely transparent and say when I was a freshman in college, I actually did suffer with um, low-lying depression. And I did use the mental health services at my university to help me get to a place where I felt more emotionally at peace. Um, Even to the extent for a a limited amount of time, I also took medication and I'm not ashamed to admit that Uh out loud because to your point, it matters when you hear other people share that, Hey, I've done it. It's a safe space and it's okay. The second thing though, is I want to say colleges have come a long way because we certainly did not have massage. (laughs) Back then, and maybe I'm aging myself, but we absolutely did not have massage chairs in our student um, support center. Um, that aside, <laughs> all jokes aside, um, Cameron, I want to come back to something that you said about the stigma of using the services. What do you think? And really, this is a question for both of you. What do you think can be done to continue to chip away at the stigma that is being open about? both needing and using the services of a mental health clinician to get quote unquote better. Um, I can speak on that. I genuinely think it's a hard conversation for many people to have, and I don't think anything's changing quickly. So I think the best way to reduce that stigma is to keep talking about it and to keep telling your peers that I got help from this classroom and my student help center like it's just um the more comfortable and familiar you make it to the people around you I feel like it's the best way to make it an approachable um thing to do and um I know I kind of think a lot about men in their mental health at college just because I mean us girls probably can't talk a lot more than they can about our feelings and the idea of getting men in that um what is it, therapy center in your school that there is offered is something that I think would only happen if you talk about it and if it's a personal conversation and someone that you connect with tells you, no, this is okay to do. This is, it's not weird. It's not hard. It's actually pretty easy and something that's beneficial. So I think keeping the word up about it is the only way on campus too. Thank you. Um, you've touched on so much and I, and I need, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in a second. Um, but one of the things I do want to highlight and reiterate is what you, is the part you said about young men. Um, and I think that is critically important, especially in the African-American community as an African-American mm-hmm. mom, my oldest son is in college and he's in a very intense medical program. 
And again, I'm not a psychiatrist. I am not a um, clinical psychologist. I am a life coach though. And so some of the tools that they use are very familiar to me. And while I don't ever step into that clinical realm, I do use my awareness to constantly check in with my son because he is under a lot of pressure academically. He does experience stress a lot. Um, I try to encourage him to be a part of this episode today, but he believe it, he's an extroverted introvert like his mom and thus not much of a talker. And so he's like, mm, mom, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, I don't want to. Um, but I do think it's important. And so I know that for him, we have, you know, lots of conversations. And one of the things that I'm so proud and so grateful that has been a mental health anchor for him is the faith that my husband and I have poured into him. Um, and we've discussed how he has countless conversations with male friends, male classmates of his about themes in the Bible. And, and he prays mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I remember the first time he kind of revealed that to me as a young adult, cause he's 21 now. I was both, I shouldn't say I was shocked, but I was a little bit surprised because we tell y'all things as parents and sometimes it's not clear if y'all are listening, right? But you do give us a beautiful gift when you demonstrate that, yep, I might not have said anything, but I was absolutely paying attention. And so now one of my greatest joys as a mother, as his mother, is to be able to tap into the growing of his faith because he has taken that step, that initiative on his own to really lean into it for himself. And then come back to me and ask questions. And together, we're able not only to discuss God and the Bible and things in the Bible, but as his mom and as a you know professional coach, I'm able to take the foundation of his faith and pour into him in a way that helps him deal with any stress that he is feeling, given the extraordinary amount of pressure he's under at school. And even then, still encourage him and remind him Your dad and I will get whatever mental health resources are necessary if you feel you need them. There is no shame. There is no condemnation. We will do whatever is necessary to make sure that you and your sister, frankly, are well. And that to the degree that they're available on campus, if you feel like you need them, please, 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 that's why we're paying tuition. Go and use the services of the Student Resource Center, be it for a physically medical issue or a mental, you know, or excuse me, a mental health issue. Um, so thank you, Cameron, for um, bringing up that point about the importance of that discussion among young men as well, because it absolutely um, matters. And so, Nina, um, with that, I bring it back to you. What are your thoughts? Um, first, I just want to piggyback on what Cameron said and even correct me if I'm wrong, but the mental health and the suicide rates and loneliness and depression rates for men right now are at an all time high. So yes, that statement know. is absolutely true. And even in my own male friends, they are way less reluctant to discuss mental health um, or to utilize resources. And it's because of that stigma of um, it's demasculating for some reason or um, you have to be able to hold everything in. And to the point I was going to make is um, for anyone out there listening, uh, it does not serve anyone or yourself to suffer in silence at all. Yeah. It, If anything, it makes things worse. And you, whatever you do, don't make yourself suffer. Don't hold your don't hold yourself to that to that magnitude. You don't have to you don't have to punish yourself for any whether you're stressing about something that you did or um, whether it's school. There's no reason why you should punish yourself to that magnitude because I've done it before and it's 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 terrible for your mental health and you don't have to do that at all. It's okay. It is absolutely okay to ask for help and nobody has the right to judge you for it. Yeah, I think, thank you, Nina. Again, you guys are, you ladies are incredible. I I, I think, Nina, to um, your point, one of the biggest challenges, and really, Cameron, to what you said about the young men, the stigma 
when it surrounds our young men, regardless of race, socioeconomic status, all of that is irrelevant irrelevant in this moment. I think one of the biggest challenges to eradicating the stigma, and you guys can you know let me know how you feel, um, is the idea that needing mental health support is a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. And that if you need or feel even like you think you may need that support, that you're there is some part of you or all of you that is weak. And personally, I think that belief is weak-minded, right? Um, so you ladies, let me know what you think about that in terms of the stigmatizing of people who utilize, specifically males, um, mm-hmm. the idea of weakness versus bravado and and you know masculinity. It's especially mm-hmm. among this generation where as a whole, y'all are more fluid. You're more open about your sexuality, your your life choices, your social experiences, etc. So, what do you think about that in terms of stigma? Mm. You know, mental health needs versus the idea of weakness. I I think I can touch on that. People who I think have that thought process, like it's demasculating or it's weak to seek out mental health service services or support. Um, you're, I, I have to say they might be ill-informed because it kind of is ignorant thinking because everyone has a, people call it different things. People call it meditation. People call it prayer, but there's something that everyone has to do in order to get that, get their energy back up or to rejuvenate and re-energize themselves. Um, and whether you know it or not, it is helping your mental health, your spiritual health, all of that good stuff. Um, and I was going to add on to that point. Um, oh, you speaking about our our generation. For one, femininity and masculinity are not subject to gender. Um, people also call it yin and yang. Everyone, everyone has hardness and softness inside of them. Mm-hmm. So it's not masculinity is not just for men. Femininity is not just for women. It's for everyone. Um, you you are able to be a human being and be soft. And when you need to um, be hard or um, be sh- be more strict or however you view it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my point to it. Okay. But y- y'all are, I, listen, I am so impressed. And I know that the <laughs> listeners are going to be impressed as well. You young people are so well-informed we often as adults don't give you the credit that you deserve. So as we um, kind of begin to wrap up this conversation, I want to put a really, I think, interesting question. And I can't wait to hear what y'all have to say about this um, out in the atmosphere. So the Lumina Gallup report found, quote, that most students rate their school's mental health resources positively but ratings are lower among students facing mental health issues, emotional stress being mm. frequent of those issues, especially because many colleges and universities have struggled to provide effective and accessible counseling services in the face of rising student need compared to limited resources. So I have a two-part question. What do you think universities can and should do to help combat this problem? And do you think it's their responsibility to provide these services in the first place? Cameron? Um, Okay. That is a big question. I definitely understand the point of view that it is the university's responsibility. I mean, we're living on campus. We pay for food and housing. Um, so that makes sense. And it's definitely um, a great benefit to going to school where they have that option. But I also understand that I don't really know what happens once you do go talk to them and what happens past that conversation. And like you said, like there's a medicines an option, um, other kinds of therapies an option. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there's some room for maybe just broadcasting that to the rest of the community and understanding that this is the first step, not necessarily the last step. And it might not make you feel a hundred percent when you walk out the door, but when you walk out the door, there is going to be a plan for um, and betterment and to make yourself, um, there's a goal in mind when you leave this room. So I understand that. And 
I don't know how they fix that. I really don't. I think it is about getting people in the door first. I mm-hmm. think that's the first problem. Yes. And once they do that, I'm sure um, better things will come out of it. I love what you said about recognizing this is a first step, a necessary first step. That is powerful. Nina, what are your thoughts? So I find it kind of ironic sometimes for my campus when I hear someone say, uh, oh, the the services like the mental health services on our campus are not great because for one, our president comes from a mental health background and her degree and her studies. And two, we have like something for every day of the week. We have a mental health Monday where people can do like physical things to help their mental health and yoga and meditation. And then I think there's something that we also offer on Wednesdays on top of the counseling center. Um, they will go out actually to any, any, any building on campus. Um, if you request them to do any segment that they offer on mental health and actually educating students, um, or whoever on better practices. However, the attendance in these things is very, very low because of that equity standpoint. Just because it's there doesn't mean that people are aware of it or people don't know that they should be using these resources at all or um, or, or the stigma. And I think what schools can do um, to increase the attendance and to increase better use of mental health services so that they can get that data to know what they should be doing better. Um, Because if you don't have the data, you don't know what's working. So that's part of it. Um, Something our school is actually getting ready to do is creating a student advisory board. Um, So a group of students specifically for the mental health um, department at our school, because we already have so many in other departments. If it's another service that is for the students, maybe you should have students apart making these decisions. So that's something that's something that our counseling center is actually getting ready to do. Um, and being a part of SGA, we've actually created a mental health liaison because we've noticed that is like the number one topic that students, when they're complaining about um, university or campus life, it's better mental health resources. And they're there. It's just like Cameron was saying, that first step, that awareness. Um, as far as it being the campus's responsibility to provide them I don't know, because I don't like to say, well, we deserve something, but um, I don't know. We're paying so much money. It's it's a nice plus, maybe. (laughs) Both of, you know, both of you had some really powerful commentary. Thank you both for your honesty um, and your creative problem solving in, in thinking about what is being done right now versus what can be done. Um, the necessary first step. This is a start. The, building the awareness. All of those things. Continuing to have the conversations. Um, I think are already being done. We could certainly do more because we see there is more and more of a need. And so, you know, to the degree that we have some sense of responsibility in our own small part of the world to do what we can to help create that awareness on campus, right? You can be an unofficial campus ambassador. Doesn't mean that you have to have all the answers. It just means that you see a need and you're planting a seed that will help someone take that necessary um, first step. So as we close out, the last official question I will ask you as it pertains to this interview is um, please share, and Nina, I'll come back to you first, Um, Some of the things that you're currently doing and recommend other young people do to self-advocate for their own mental wellness. Um, Being a student leader on my campus, I'm always advocating for students to go to the counseling center. um, And actually, recently, we contacted the counseling center to do a session um, for the Honors College here on campus. So just introducing students, um, reiterating the resources that they have. Um, and letting them know that they're there. So constantly doing that and inviting the counseling center to any event, no matter what it is, to make sure that, you know, students are aware of these resources. Okay. Miss Cameron. Um, as someone who's definitely less involved with the school itself, I've found that 
I mean, I'm 21 now. Most of us are. The most important thing is protecting your own peace. And no one knows you better than yourself. So I think it's just a really big conversation to have alone. Um, And you're going to tell yourself the truth. You're going to know what you need. So if that is finding help, then there's a way to do that without making it scary. And as long as you're okay with the decision yourself, I think it's going to be really easy to get to that. All right. Fantastic. So ladies, um, you, as I've said earlier, multiple times today, I'm so proud. I'm so honored. I'm so grateful. You guys have um, been extraordinary guests to have this conversation with. So I do have mostly adults that listen, but if there are adults who have young adult children, high school age children um, that they share this, excuse me, that they share this episode with, And those young people want to connect to you because of what you've said and how you've demonstrated. You both are very, very um, aware student leaders. How can people connect with you on social media? Cameron? Um, My social media is Cameron80K on basically anything. I look forward to talking about this more in my future. I think it's an amazing conversation. And the easier it is for me to talk about, hopefully it's easier for everyone else. So, Okay. Thank you. Nina? My Instagram is Nina Siobhan, N-I-N-A-S-H-A-B-O-N. And my LinkedIn is Nina Collymore, C-O-L-L-Y-M-O-R-E. And I look forward to hearing from anyone as well. Ladies, thank you. It has been my absolute honor to have this conversation with you today. I'm blown away. I'm already excited to go back and listen to the recording because y'all definitely shared a lot of wisdom. Um, Your your sense of awareness and transparency blows my mind. When I was your age, we were not having these kinds of conversations. And so in that, I don't want to say rare instance, but when there were instances where maybe someone was struggling with suicidal ideation or significant levels of anxiety and depression, it was almost like an open secret. You know, it was very taboo. It's like, oh, that's them and that's too bad. But Mm -hmm. in the privacy of our own space, we would share our opinions about it. You know, so again, I cannot thank you enough for your willingness to share, for your willingness to take time out of what I know are busy schedules as we come up to the end of a current spring semester. Um, So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to your families who have, your parents specifically, who have trusted me enough blindly to let you be here um, today to share and to discuss. Um, It has been my absolute pleasure. Uh, And for those listening, if you or someone you know is in crisis, please, please, please understand and remember that there is absolutely no shame in asking for help. If you need that help, you can certainly reach out to the Suicide Lifeline by texting 988 or visiting www.988lifeline.org to get more access to resources. And in the event of emergency, dial 911 or visit your local emergency room. This has been Healing for Your Thoughts. As always, it's been my pleasure to have you here today. Until next time, remember to live well and with intention. All my best, Charlie.